people. And over time, as I reflected about what happened, and I studied people who transform their results, people who transform their results, not just wish for a better result, but actually transform their results, there are three things they do. That's Mary Morrissey, and this is The Depression Detox Show. Welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Friday. Appreciate you joining me today, as I always do. And we are closing out our week with yet another new feature speaker making her debut on the show. And she is a person that has empowered people to live authentically, abundantly, and successfully for over 40 years as an international speaker, author, and coach. And today, she's here to share the three ways to harness the power of our mind to turn our dreams into reality. Here's Mary Morrissey. Enjoy. But there are three steps that dream builders use either consciously or unconsciously to transform their results so that the dream wins over conditions, so that the dream wins over time, so that the dream wins over all kinds of circumstances, situations, and even our history, and even no matter how long it's been there, and sometimes it's been there for decades. About 150 years ago, a man decided to do an experiment with his life. That's what we're invited to do over the next 12 months. Keep breathing and do an experiment with life. He went to the woods, Henry David Thoreau, and he said, I wanted, prior to his, this quote that's up here, he said, I wanted to learn to suck the marrow out of aliveness. I wanted to live a life I loved living while I was living it. I went to the woods because I wished to deliberately front the only essential facts of life and see if life could not teach me what it had to teach. And not when I came to die, discover that I had not even really lived. Now, Henry did this two-year, two-month, two-day experiment And then he wrote an essay about it. And in the conclusion of that essay, he writes a quote that is worldwide known. If one advances confidently in the direction of their dream and endeavors to live the life they've imagined. He said, I learned this at least by my experiment, if one advances confidently in the direction of their dream. Well, you can't advance in a direction you don't already have an idea of. And the first thing dream builders or people who evolve their results do is they have an idea of what they would really love their life to be like. If I say to you your front door, if I say to you the kitchen sink where you live, if I say to you the bed you sleep in most often, you did not see the letters B-E-D or S-I-N-K or D-O-O-R. You saw pictures. You saw a picture of a door. You saw a picture of a sink. You saw a picture of a bed. This is important for us to know as building a dream because most of us dream dreams and we're vague. We don't really see a dream. We say, "I I want it to be better. I want it to be easier. I'd love to travel. And there's no picture for where we would travel. The more specific you are and the more you specific you are right now, this talk will mean way more to you over the course of this next year. What would you really love? Most of us ask this question, what do I think I can do? What does the economy say I can do? What do you think I can do? What does my mother think I can do? 
what would you love is the right question because you will have different thoughts on the frequency of that question than you will have on the what do I think question. What would you really love? Because you're gonna have results in those four areas anyway. Now, I knew nothing about this in 1966. In 1966, I had grown up in a very, very happy family. Uh, my mom and dad, my sister, eight years older. I, it, this was 1966, I was a junior in high school. I was high, homecoming princess, had a lead in the junior play. Um, I, had, I was this, uh, my class vice president. I had three best friends from the time I was 10 years old and we'd hung out together and done many, many things together. And in spring break of 1966, my high school sweetheart had gone off to college, came home on spring break, and I got pregnant. May 1, I tell my mom and dad I'm now pregnant. My mother wept for me as if I had died. Middle of May, we had a very hasty 10-person wedding middle of May. The high school principal calls me in and says, are these rumors I'm hearing about you true? And I said, well, if the rumors are that I'm pregnant and married in that order, then yes. He just put his head in his hands and he said, Mary, you will not be allowed to return here for your senior year. It would be totally inappropriate for a pregnant girl to get mixed in with the normal girls. But we have a place for people like you. It's a high school not held during daylight. It's after dark. It's across the river in a part of Pearl. And I hadn't been allowed to drive in after dark. And it's where the pregnant girls and the delinquent boys go to high school. So that's where I began my senior year. And my first son was born in December of 1966. Only now, the mothers of my best girlfriends would no longer let them see me. Because now I was married. I was pregnant. It was as if what I had was contagious. I graduated from Washington Evening High School in May of 1967, and in July of 1967, I was in a Portland hospital having been diagnosed with fatal kidney disease. One kidney was totally destroyed with nephritis, the other kidney was 50% destroyed and active nephritis, and in 1967, this is a death sentence, we don't have dialysis, we don't have transplants. And every medical physician, doctor, specialist, surgeon all said the same thing. The best we can do is maybe give you six months. If we can get the blood toxin level in your body reduced enough to remove that surgery, then maybe you'll have six months. And I was terrified. And my belief system at that time was this was happening to me. I was being punished for being a bad girl. And I was being punished. Well, the night before the surgery, a woman walked in my room about 10 o'clock at night who identified herself as a chaplain offering prayer for people who were going to have surgeries the next day. Did I want prayer? And I'm thinking, you know, well, the God of my upbringing probably needed to have some anger management classes, but <laughs> it was the only God I knew at the time, and I said, well, maybe, and she pulled her chair next to my bed. She didn't do anything that looked like prayer. She talked to me, and she asked me to tell her what had been going on in my life the last year or two, which I did, and when I was finished, she said, Mary, everything's created twice. What do you mean? She said, you know this. In fact, everybody knows it. Almost nobody knows the power of knowing this. She said, the bed you're laying on, the nightgown you're wearing, the sheet covering in the walls, the ceiling, the floor, all the machinery you're hooked up to first had to be a thought before it could be a thing. You know this. And then she said, I hear how much you love your little boy, but I also hear how much you've been hating yourself. You feel like you shamed yourself. You shamed your school. You shamed your family. And now that you're thinking how everything's created twice, could you consider that there could be a correlation? Because notice this, Mary. If you think embarrassing thoughts, your cheeks get red. If you think scary enough thoughts, your heart beats faster. It doesn't mean anything scary is going on. It doesn't even mean anything embarrassing is going on. It means you think those thoughts and your body responds. Could it be that if you think enough toxic thoughts about yourself, there could be a correlative, a toxicity that goes on in your body that actually could threaten your life? Well, this was so beyond anything that I had any framework for at that point. 
And then she said, could you believe it's possible that we could do a prayer or say words, and this could completely be eliminated from you? And in fact, when they come to get you for surgery in the morning, they say, get up, go home. You're fine. Could you believe that? And I told her the truth. No. I didn't believe that was going to happen for me. There was not one part of me that believed. I was way more belief in my pain at that point. And she said, all right, if you can't believe this. Now, remember, there's an infinite number of possibilities. There has to be one where, instead of we do this prayer, we pull all the genesis all the genesis of this disease that's going on in you and put it in the kidney that's going to get removed. And when it's removed, instead of you getting worse, you actually get better. Could you believe that's possible? I didn't know if it was possible, but I could tell she believed it was possible. And I believe it was the first time I ever chose to believe on the frequency of someone else's belief who was operating at a higher domain, and I said, maybe it's possible. And remember, this is before Sheldrake and David Bohm and quantum field science and, and all the things that and, yeah, there was... And, at this point, there was no mind-body clinic at Harvard. I mean, this is all, in the last 40 years, so much has happened. So she said, all right, let's work with that. One idea. She says, one part, of your, one part of you open to the idea, let's work with that. She said some words. She gave me a prescriptive for how to use my thinking and my emotion, and then she left. And they did the surgery. And about a week or two later, my numbers were stable enough that they said, you might have a little bit more time, we're gonna let you go home. I went home to my parents' house in an ambulance where my son and my husband were staying, and I could hardly get my head off the pillow. But subtly, and I was in many times a week at first, and over time, less times being checked, having my numbers checked, and subtly, over time, my numbers not only stabilized, but improved. And four or five months later, I'm sitting in a doctor's office with the surgeon and the specialist and my regular GP, and they're scratching their heads saying, we have no science for why your one kidney is not only getting worse, it seems to be functioning as a perfectly whole, fine kidney, and there's no, we don't have any science for this. We're going to put medical anomaly on your chart. Whatever you've been doing, keep doing it. <laughs> and that's when I began to do the things that I've told you about. I got into undergraduate school. I got into graduate school. And over time, as I reflected about what happened, and I studied people who transform their results. People who transform their results not just wish for a better result, but actually transform the results. There are three things they do. Every one of them, whether they do it consciously or unconsciously, and when I transformed my health result, I was totally an unconscious competent. I just did what she told me to do. She said, here's what's going to happen. When you have that surgery, your mind's very much like a rubber band. You thought those thoughts so much, your mind's going to want to think those thoughts, those toxic thoughts. They're going to remove that one kidney, Every time you notice yourself starting to think a thought, toxic thought, say, no, that left with the kidney, and then immediately imagine yourself, like you're walking in and getting into your own bed. Imagine yourself, and for me, because I wanted my two big dreams were I want to be a teacher and I want to raise my son. Imagine you're walking into a school, you've got a little five-year-old's hand in yours, feel the warmth of his hand in yours. You walk up to a teacher, he goes into his kindergarten class, you hear the click, click, click of your heels, you go around the corner, and there's your classroom, and you're a teacher, and he's five. Imagine yourself, then fast forward, she said, and imagine yourself, you're sitting in a big auditorium, and there's caps and gowns down there, your son's 18, he's graduating from high school, and you're there, and your teaching career is growing. And then fast forward, and imagine that you're sitting in the front row of a wedding, and you're the mother of the groom, and your son's marrying the love of his life, and your teaching career is flourishing. Keep repeating that. I had done that unconsciously. Every time I would start to think, oh my gosh, and start to generate that wavelength of self-loathing, I said, no, that left with the kidney. And then I saw myself, and I imagined being the person taking him into kindergarten, being the person seeing him graduate, being the person sitting in the front row of his wedding. I had no idea the power of that. 
But after 45 years of studying and tens of thousands of people, what I know are these three things, that if when we get together next year for our reunion, and if you would love to be able to share results in particularly one or two areas of your life where you feel the greatest longing and the most discontent, then these three things will help you. Number one, you want to create with clarity a specific dream. Imagine yourself, health, what would you love? Relationships. As clear the dream you can design, the more your brain can work on that frequency. You know if you want to change your television channel, you got to change the frequency. You know if you want to change the radio station you're listening to, you got to change the frequency. We're not really different. We think on frequencies. Our ability to see and not see opportunities are on the frequencies we think from. Create a specific dream. See yourself in it. Refuse to stay discouraged. I didn't say refuse to get discouraged. We're all going to get discouraged. Not everything we try is going to work out. We learned to walk by falling down. We just didn't stay down. We were little kids. It was normal to explore, experiment. We got older and we thought every step we take has got to work out. So decline to stay discouraged. Okay, that was feedback. When Edison was asked, how did you survive 10,000 failures? He said, I never had a failure. It was all feedback. You'll have some feedback this year. <laughs> decline to stay discouraged. And then be more interested in the growth that will happen for you by means of having a dream. Yes, many, many wonderful things will happen if you become a dream builder. Not a dreamer, a dream builder, because you're going to create results anyway. But to stay in the comfort zone means you're going to keep having what you've had, because that's where you're comfortable. If you want to have something you've never had, do something you've never done, that's growth. We're a little unstable in that part of our life. So if, you're, so if you're more interested in growth than comfort, you're willing to be interested a little bit in growth because it's more for you than what's been, and do that in service of your dream. So those three things, be specific about your dream, decline to stay discouraged, be in service of your dream through the growth that happens, and you can have that every single day during this 365-day experiment before we have our reunion next year. Now, not one of us can go back and change what's back there, but every single one of us can decide what's going to be out there. Big thanks to Mary Morrissey for stopping by. Just to recap the three things that dream builders do. Number one, they create the vision of their future with crystal clear clarity. Two, they refuse to stay discouraged. They shorten the amount of time that they stay in the downturns of life. They feel the feelings, but don't allow it to overwhelm them and immobilize them. And number three, the last thing that they are more interested in growth than in comfort. And that's going back to what Lisa Nichols taught in her Monday's clip, which was to use fear as fuel and get out of your comfort zone to be in service of your dream. So again, big thanks to Mary Morrissey for stopping by. Her website is marymorrissey.com. And if you like this clip, there'll be a link to the entire talk in the show description, along with a link to her website. And that is a wrap for me. I hope you have an amazing weekend. I hope you have an amazing day and I will see you back here on Monday. So until then, stay strong. Later. Later.